0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke 1, Doubting Believers. Good morning. Good morning. How are things? Good Missed y'all. Appreciate the time away. Appreciate Pastor Greg being one man show up here for <laughs> last Sunday. I told the early church, you know, early services, pastor appreciation, staff appreciation. You know, I, you know, I, of course, I'm y'all's pastor. Guess who's my pastor? <laughs> he is. So it's good and bad. So if I go wrong, then it's all on him, right? (laughs) Always got to have people around you. Uh, Always got to have accountability. Nobody is without that, or they shouldn't be. And um, appreciate uh, the partnership and accountability I have with your pastor, Greg, and the great things that he does here. We're in the book of Luke, where we were last time we were together, and we're going to be back there in the first chapter. We left off last time at verse 13. And we were pursuing this uh, beginning of this story of God invading the world through his son Jesus Christ and what that process and how it began and how it, how it uh, moved forward. And we were introduced last time to this undistinguished couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who God begins to distinguish. And he begins with, out of 18,000 priests, uh, Zacharias' division, 750 men is called up, one of 24 divisions. And out of those divisions, he's picked. His name is, gets pulled out of the hat. And so this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime deal for him. Never would he get to go back into the temple again. Uh, this is a man who is quote-unquote advanced in age along with his wife. So they, didn't, they reserved that statement for someone who was over 60, maybe 70, maybe 80. We don't know uh, because, uh, well, it doesn't give us an, an age there, but we know at least 60 years old. So he spent at least 30 years ministry as a priest, um, never an access to the temple because you only got to go in by lot, by your name getting pulled out of a hat. And you would only get to do it once. So as soon as you got to go in, your name would never go back into the hat again. And so we we know know he's never been in because here he goes. So coincidence adds upon coincidence. And you start saying, maybe God's doing something here. And so, at least for him, this is the highlight of his whole life. He gets to go into the temple. Uh, He uh, is moving fast. Like I said, this is a spooky place. Uh, it's about the size of this auditorium as far as width and length, but the ceiling would have been three or four times higher than this. It's only lit by a seven branch candle uh, or lamp stand, which is over here on this side. And The last time you burned a lamp, they're not very bright. You're going to light that much room? Like I said, it's spooky in that way. There's no windows. It's also spooky because people have died in here that came in for the wrong reasons. So you you know you're minding your p's and q's to be sure you're moving fast eyes are low, no selfies. Coming in, getting your business done, being grateful that you're able to be there, putting your altar you know burning the incense, backing out of that place. Boom, something happens, an angel shows up. So adding coincidence to coincidence, and that out of eighteen thousand men, he's been picked. Uh, gets to go in once in his life, here in his 60s or whatever, 70s. And, and then an angel shows up. An angel hasn't appeared to an Israeli for 500 years at this point. So I'm thinking this is not a coincidence. Uh, definitely the move of God. And so something powerful is happening here. And so he appears to, to Zacharias. And so we pick up the story here in verse 13. <clears throat> the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. I, I always find that funny because I'm thinking like that would help. Like I said, people have died in here. This is a spooky place, and a guy and an angel in a shining robe shows up. He didn't come through any doors, and there's no windows. Mmm. Whatever you say, I'll try not to be, I don't know, Zacharias, anyway, says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for the petition has been heard. Your petition has been heard. What petition? Praying for a son. Any a daughter, anything. They're in their 60s, maybe 70s, haven't had children. They're going to have any. No. No, they're definitely not. And so when did they stop praying for this child? You see, years ago. So they have stopped hoping and they have stopped believing, as we're going to see very clearly here. But uh, God's not stopped, nor does their lack of faith at this point stop God's process. And that's very important here. Even though there is huge doubt on the part of Zacharias, in just a moment you're going to see, it does not stop God from blessing him. And that's so, so critical for us who are doubters, for sure. So. Your petition has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, you will give him the name John, we're speaking of John the Baptist, not John the Presbyterian for all the Presbyterians here, <laughs> for he will have joy and gladness, I don't know, I always try to say that there, I don't know why. He was a prophet, he wasn't a Baptist in that sense, so I'm a Baptist, Okay. He will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at this next time we come together, these miraculous bursts, this trend in the Bible that we see a miraculous burst, God's making promises and bringing these miraculous births. John is one of a set, if you will. Jesus is not the end of the set. Jesus certainly is a miraculous birth, but there is another miraculous birth even greater than Jesus's. You need to come next week if you want to hear about it. So, up until then, you can call me a heretic. He will turn back many to the sons of Israel, the Lord their God, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready the people of the Lord. So, wow. Wow, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and then in the midst of that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, once and a half a millennial opportunity shows up in the form of an angel to give a message to God. So not only has God not spoken to anyone, He's not sent an angel in 400 years, and not sent an angel in 500 years. So, <clears throat> wow. It's all about a movement of God upon this man's life. There was every time this man was going to be religious, if you will, for lack of a better way to say it. It was certainly going to be now. Notice how irreligious he is. Zacharias said, how shall I know this for certain? So, so <laughs> What? What? I mean, why, well, you need something more? Zacharias? Yep. For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. See, see, see um, there are some things that can really get to us sometimes. There can be some deep-seated anger, resentment, even towards God, in the sight of believers. Here you go. The angel answered and said to him, "I am." Notice how straightforward and matter of fact he deals with them i am gabriel i stand in the presence of god and i've been sent to speak to you to bring you this good news and behold you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words by the way they're not his words they were god's words right you're just simply conveying a message which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting, and Zacharias was wondering at at Zacharias for his delay. All these priests who didn't get selected are standing outside praying, and one guy goes in, and that one guy's not coming out for a while. I don't know what's going on. So when he does come out, though, it says he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he'd seen a vision. So he's waving and motioning with his hands and can't say anything. And he kept making signs of them and remained mute, and it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended that he went back home, and after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. See, notice the blessings of God don't stop because he's a doubter. That's such an important message for us. I don't know if you've ever doubted, but I have. That may shock you. And everyone else in here, he says they've never doubted, are liars. (laughs) Or they haven't believed enough. They haven't looked into it close enough. She, she comes up pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days which he's looked with me favor upon me to take away my disgrace, it says, among men. And it was considered in that society a disgraceful thing to not be able to have children. So, so Satan can, can't keep you from God, answering, from God answering your prayers, but he can make you doubt it, can he? And so, wow, what a deep-seated hurt this man shows us here. Over the top of all these signs and all these no longer coincidences and an angel, even all that, out of the bottom of his uh, uh, hurting heart, I guess you could say, comes this unbelief, this, this doubt, and uh, kind of a scary thing. Uh, the word here in, in English actually is a little bit ambiguous. He's effectively asking for another sign. So, like I said, again... Once-in-a-life occasion, once-in-a-life opportunity to go inside the temple, once-in-a-half-a-millennial opportunity to meet an angel, and he's talking to you, and yet you need another sign? You need another one? Wow. That's tough, isn't it? He needed a stronger evidence. Here's, here's the problem the angel has, and God has, and that we have, or we should have. He needs a stronger sign than the, than the Word of God. So the word of God to him is that God is going to answer your prayers and going to give you a son. And Zacharias says, I can't believe that unless I see something else. So so a word of God was not good enough for him. He needs to add a sign on top of that. Now, let me just say this because there's a huge fallacy going around in our culture, and I guess it's nothing new, that people think signs and wonders are bigger than God's word. They are not. That is a lie. If God really wanted to say, people, here's the thinking. Why doesn't he pull out all the stops? He parted the Red Sea, why not part the Gulf of Mexico? Why not uh, run all the people out of Valley Baptist uh, Hospital over here in Harlingen, heal them all? Can't God do that? Yes, he can. Then why doesn't he do it so that people be saved? Maybe God doesn't love people. That's the way our thinking goes, you see. No, he definitely does. Let me just say to you, if God starts pulling out signs and wonders as opposed to backing his word, He's going to give you second-rate power. Signs and wonders are second-rate to the Word of God. They are, hear me carefully, they are second-rate. People are not converted through signs and wonders. They're converted through the Word of God believed. The Word of God is more powerful, more effective. It's a greater miracle. It's a greater, it's a greater force moving among us than any signs and wonders. And like I said, you don't got to believe me. I'd say believe Jesus on this. Here's Jesus' words on this. In a parable that he gave to the Pharisees, he said, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets the way a Jew would refer to the whole Old Testament, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is a group of men who've been asking for all kinds of signs and wonders, right? Show us a sign that you're the Son of God. No sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah, right? But even though one rises from the dead, he says... They will not believe. Why? Because they've not first believed the most powerful thing that is in our presence, which is is the Word of God. God speaking to us. There's nothing more powerful than that. It is a second-rate miracle to wait for miracles and signs. First-rate miracle is the Word of God. Again, you disagree, maybe. Hear this, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God, by the way, I'm a total believer in signs and wonders. I think God can do anything He wants to, anytime. He's not doing those at least wholesale, not like he did in the time of Christ, because they are unnecessary. Because if they were necessary, he'd be doing them. They're not necessary. So he doesn't. I'm not saying he doesn't heal people. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I'm not saying he can't do all this stuff. Please don't hear me wrong on this. I'm just saying that's not the program of God, wholesale, because that's not the whole wholesale program of God. is the Word of God getting out. Here's the reason why. Watch. For the Word of God is living and active. Miracles aren't. If a miracle happened yesterday, guess what happens? That is yesterday. And if we progress into tomorrow, by God's grace, that'll be two days away. Another week, it's a week away. Another month, it's a month away. Another year, it's a year away. Another 10 years, it's 10 years away. And memories start to fade. And the reality of things become, what, what was so pertinent to us becomes, starts becoming, well, did it really happen? And then those of us who were there to see it pass away, and everybody's got to go on what we say. And we don't know about Pastor Bill, whether You know, he drank too much coffee or not. Maybe he didn't see. Maybe something really didn't happen. See what I'm saying? Miracles can be washed out like that. But the Word of God is not like that. The Word of God, it says, is living and active. That's today. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even into dividing soul and spirit. See, miracles don't do this. Wonders don't do this. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Miracles and wonders don't do that, guys. God's Word does that. We severely underestimate and understate the power of the Word. We're established on the power of the Word, not miracles, not wonders. That would be awesome if God would do those things, but I'm telling you, they are unnecessary. Because if they were, what'd I say? He'd be doing them. They're not. Quit asking for them. And Jesus says, "An adulterous generations ask for sign and wonders. You're asking for second-rate stuff. The Word of God is living and active. It's constant. It wakes up with you every day. It's chipping away at you. It's, it's, it's dividing your heart. It's doing heart surgery on you. Miracles and wonders don't do that. They're small change. Very small compared to the Word of God. So the point I'm getting to you is Zacharias took the most powerful thing that God has to offer us, which is his very words. He says, no. Give me a sign. Angel says, I'm not giving you. Well, I, maybe I will. I'll give you nine months to just listen. Right? Nine months to think about it because you're not going to be able to talk for during that time, to be sure. So, but hear me carefully on this: God takes it personally when we don't listen to what He says. He takes it very personally when we He gives us His words and we don't believe them. You would be no different. Say you introduced yourself to me today. You say, "I am from Kansas," and. I'm a lawyer, and my wife and I have three kids, and we have two grandkids, and I just folded my arms and said, I don't think you're telling me the truth. I mean, if I was really serious about that, how would that make you feel? I mean, you've laid out just the basics of who you are as an introduction, and I'm thinking, what am I calling you? You're lying to me. I must believe the part about being a lawyer, right? No. <laughs> I, you're lying to me. How does that make you feel? How's that relationship going to go moving forward? Not very well. It's going to be kind of standoffish to that weird preacher over there. I just tell him basics about me, and he says I'm lying to him. So when God tells you basics about himself, do you believe him? How more basic work can you get? You and your wife are going to have a son. I don't believe it. Nothing I can do for you. Zacharias wouldn't believe a word from God, and so God gives him nine months to listen, doesn't he? And what we were introduced to this guy back here in the first part look at verse 6 of chapter 1 Speaking of Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth They were both upright righteous in sight of God walking blamelessly in all commandments and requirements of the Lord I mean, this is their evaluation. This is who they were So how is it that a godly person like this isn't it true that godly people never doubt? That is not true isn't it true that, I mean, we might as well say, isn't it true that godly people never sin? That is not true. I wished it were, but it's not. It is definitely not. I, I submit to you, Zacharias' story is our story. It's our story. I know it's mine. I'm, cer- I'm pretty certain it's yours. The pastor's judging me. Yep, that's right. I know exactly where you are. You're just like me. There, there's nothing in us, I mean, I should say, there's something in us that is offended by his doubting. Is there not? How could he do such a thing, right? But I would say this, be very careful. As part and parcel of our offendedness is the assumption that we would never do the same thing. That is dangerous. You should never find yourself in the position with regards to someone else's sin saying, I would never do that. Never find yourself there, ever. That arrogant arrogant attitude is maybe paved the way for you to get to that sin. No, except for the grace of God, that would be me. See, having mercy. See, when when we persecute these who, albeit a believer, but who fall in a way unlike we do, what are we saying? I'm better than you. You're not. It's dangerous. It really is. Notice, Paul says, Corinthian church, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So here's my recommendation based on the Word of God. Never think you stand. Ever. Never think you've got it. Never think you're strong. I've been having this issue. I've been seeing stuff all over the place how Christians say, I'm strong, but I still need Jesus. It's insidious. It's a wickedness that ever thinks that a child of God ever thinks that he or she is strong. You never are. You never want to be. You never are, so never think that you are. It is so dangerous. You're so setting yourself up. You're so listening to the devil. If you think you're smart, think you're wise, think you're strong. You're not, ever. Any of that end going on in your life, it's because Christ put it in there. Give him the credit. Stop taking the credit for his stuff, or he'll take it away from you. Just a word of warning to you. I'm telling you now. It's serious business. I don't think I've ever failed the doubt category as bad as Zacharias, but I can see it in me. Can you see it in you? Can you see it? I know I'm weak. I, I'm not, I've not got an opportunity to fall as hard as he did. But, but I know myself. See, I'm going to show you a guy who didn't know himself very well. A guy by the name of Peter. We talked about him earlier, right? Got to get out of the boat fast, ready, fire, aim, Peter, you know? Fire, aim is kind of the out of the order for non-military people here. supposed to aim first and then anyway. So, so Jesus sits down with his disciples the night before he's betrayed, and he says, all of you will fall away on account of me. Now that's Jesus speaking, which means that's God speaking, and that's a word from God, and the word from God is, in, is verifiable, absolutely true. So it is going to be true, no matter what anyone thinks, right? But Peter, not knowing his weakness, pipes up and says, even though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Less than 24 hours, right? He denies Jesus three Publicly, three times. Here's a man who thought he was strong, doesn't he? Thinks he's better, smarter than Jesus. Wow, I would never do that, right? Yeah, you've done that because you go out and done stuff Jesus didn't want you to do, although you knew what he wanted you to do. But you thought you're smarter than him. You know better than Peter. Humble yourselves. Humble yourself, Peter. So, so back to Zacharias. Can we forgive him for being like us? Can we? I think it's important that we do. Because I you know I haven't gotten, I, had, I hadn't busted it that bad, but I can see it in me. I really can. Doubting, here's what I want us to really get to today. Doubting is a common experience among believers. You're a doubter here, you're in good company. Welcome to a room full of people who have doubted all kinds of stuff, including the pastor that's up here, all kinds of things from God. If you've never doubted anything, may I say this to you, it means probably you've never seriously considered it. Have you really considered what this says? With no doubts? Wow. Church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, is it not? It's also to be a home for doubters. We don't shun doubters, we bring them in. Doubters welcome Come and fellowship with other doubters. We've been through the same things you've been through. We've struggled the same way you have. Brother, let us help you. Our job here is to to heal sinners and be compassionate to doubters. Look at this list that Jude puts together. What what an action list on a day-to-day basis for a church. What does a church do on a day-to-day basis? Read that. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ every day. To bring you uh, to eternal life be merciful to those who doubt every day Save others by snatching them from the fire every day Do others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh every day? every day Merciful to doubters why because we know what it's like don't we? We do entire books of the Bible dealing with the issues of doubt. Ecclesiastes I'm only the last time you read that Talk about a guy who's in the throes of doubt, Solomon. Great man of God. Job. Whole book about his doubt and fears and not understanding why God's doing what he's doing. Lamentations. A great man of God. Jeremiah writes that book. Huge doubts. Habakkuk. Same thing. God, why are you doing these things? I don't get it. It's not processing for me. Again, were were they excluded because of their doubts? No, they were not. They were not disqualified because of their doubts. In the same way Zacharias is not disqualified. I, I think we feel threatened by doubt. It's like the elephant in the room. I say we've all had them, but we all like we never have. You got one guy over here who's doubting all the rest of us saying, oh, that's terrible. When in fact we're thinking, wow, I remember when I was like that. That guy needs our care, doesn't he? he needs us to reach out to him. He needs to say, listen, brother, I was there. And if, by God's grace, I'm staying out of that area, but, but, but let's talk about it. Let's, let's care for each other. We, we feel threatened by doubt, I really think, and I don't see where God is threatened at all by it. I don't see it. Notice, he doesn't miss a beat with Zacharias. The program is still the program. You and Elizabeth are having a son. Now, because you didn't believe me on this count, it doesn't stop the process. You're still having this kid. You're going to be mute for nine months. you imagine a woman who's never been pregnant, and she's 60-something years old, and <laughs> and you can't say a thing to her? except to just sit around and hear her, and she excludes herself for, for six months. She puts herself away for, for five, or five or six months. So she doesn't talk to a single other adult during that whole time, and you're, you know. So he's, at the end, he's not only mute, he is also deaf, I'm thinking. She wears him out, she wears those ears out, I'm sure. And he's got no way to answer. Yeah, honey, whatever, I'm reading the paper, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I think we feel threatened, but I don't think God is. Here, here watch, watch this. Well, this is Matthew 28. This is right before Jesus gives the Great Commission, the end of the book of Matthew. So all that's happened here with these 11, now down to 11 because Judas has betrayed him already. Now they've been three years with Jesus. Scores of miracles. Thousands of people saved. Thousands of people's lives changed. People raised from the dead. Then it goes exactly like Jesus says. He's, he's betrayed. He's put on trial. mock trial. He's uh, crucified. He's killed. He's buried. He's in the ground three days. He raises himself from the dead. He appears to them that first Sunday. He tells them that later on they're to go up to Galilee, the eleven, and he's going to meet them there. They have all this miracle, signs, and wonders, right, going on. And watch what it does for them. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mount which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, well, there's just eleven of them now, they worshiped him, but some were. What? Doubtful? After the guy standing there with scars in his hands and, and, uh, and one on his side, you watched him die, you saw him bury him, and yet you're still doubtful. Why? Because, guys, we're sinners. And, and, and worse than sinners, we're sheep. And I, and I, want to, I know we, we talk about this a lot, and I know you're sick of it, but I'm still a pastor here up until this point at least. So we're going to talk about it again. See, I don't see him running and worried about these. He just goes right straight from there into the Great Commission. He says, well, we're going to have to stop this whole process right now and deal with these doubters because they're a threat to the whole organization. No, they're not. No, they're not. If he stopped for every single doubter, I guess we'd never get anywhere. Never. He just moves right ahead, gives them the commission. You're going to be fine, boys. Why? Because they've got it together? No, because he's got it together, you see. Shepherd and sheep. Again, back to the whole sheep illustration. It helps me to remember the Lord calls the sheep, and sheep are so dumb; they are so easily misled. The right influences over a sheep, and you can get a sheep to doubt which way is up. They can doubt anything. Sheep are capable of anything—atrocities to each other. So when a sheep makes it, remember when a sheep makes it to the other side, healthy, wealthy, and wise. What does that tell us about the sheep? Nothing. (laughs) Tells us everything about the shepherd, right? The sheep have nothing going for them. They never do. Back to the never think you're wise, never think you're smart, never think you're strong, because sheep never are. Ever. They're always dumb. They're always incapable. They're always short and short change. They can't get it done. If they make it, it's because they have a good shepherd, and it's for no other reason. So are you a doubter? Like I said, you're in good company. Are, are you worried about a doubter, a wife, a husband, a child, a grandchild, a friend, a co-worker, someone who served alongside you in ministry? You worried about them? Let me, let me say this to you. Look at, look at Jesus here for a second. My sheep. You're a sheep, right? You're worried about your doubts? The, the one you're worried about, possibly, is also a sheep of God? My sheep hear my voice. It doesn't say they could or should or that they might. It says that they do. So don't worry about it. I I know them. It doesn't say he might know them. He does know them. So don't worry about it. They follow me. They're going to do it. Why? Because he knows how to do his job. Stop worrying that Jesus can't do his job. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Stop worrying. That Jesus knows how to do his job. By the way, if you're worrying, if you're worried about a doubter, then what does that mean? That you're a doubter, you're doubting whether Jesus can do his job. Can we be confident that Jesus is capable of reigning in his sheep? Don't be so threatened by doubters. Welcome them, love them. You've been there. Hear them. Give them an opportunity to speak, share what's going on in their hearts. They've gotten tangled up in something, or they've gotten a deep hurt, as in the case of Zacharias and Elizabeth, or the devil's tricked them into something. That's the part of the reason why we have congregations. While we're together, we're not these lone wolves out there, because we're not. We're sheep. You may dress up in a wolf costume, but you're going to get yourself killed out there by yourself. Find that sheep. Bring them back in. Love them. Share with them your own doubts and disappointments and and together we can work together to get get ourselves closer to the shepherd So if you're and if you're sweating over the doubters and you're doubting yourself so Doubting is common to us How do we deal with it? I'll put a list together. It's actually not my list It's a guy by the name of pastor by the name of Ray Pritchard And he had some good points here and I want to make these points together with you briefly before we're done here this morning number one dealing with doubt Admit your doubt. Number one, admit it. How do I deal with my I'm struggling with doubt? Well, admit it to someone. Go and say, yeah, I promise you, you won't find a Christian who hasn't doubted. And the one that says if they're not, is a, I. you can tell them I said they're a liar. They've doubted. They have. Go and find a believer that you trust and confess to them, first to God, but then to them. It's amazing what admitting and our weaknesses will do for us. It's amazing what repentance and confession will do. That's why it says it over and over in the the scriptures. It's so important. Get it out. Oh, I'm not like anybody else. I'm doubting, and everybody else in here isn't. That's just simply not true. It's just not. Admit and ask for help. I'm so blessed by the humility of this man. So Jesus is up on the mountain, comes down from the mountain with three of his disciples, and the other. uh, Let's see, three from twelve gives me nine. Nine are down there, and they've been dealing with this man who has a demon-possessed son, and they can't deliver the son. And they've been on mission already, they've already seen miracles, and God's worked miracles through them, but for some reason they can't get to this demon for some reason. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And the man brings the boy and says, if you can do anything, help my son. Jesus says, if I can do anything, if all things are possible to him who believes, he says. And then, of course, he delivers the little boy, the demon. Uh, takes the little boy out, out of, uh, takes the demon out, out of the little boy. And so, but, but in that process when Jesus says, if, if I can, says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. That's an honest prayer. If you're doubting today? That's a great prayer. That's an awesome prayer. Be honest with it. Admit. Ask for help. Don't, don't keep it in. Why is this the first time that we're hearing this from Zacharias? Why isn't he with his other church members and they're congregating together and he's dealing with his hurts because he's walled himself out? And honestly, they've walled him out. Because they all like to act like we're all like to act like we're perfect, which is never true. Number one, admit your doubt and ask for help. Number two, Recognize that faith is a choice, not a feeling. Feelings are manipulated. I can manipulate feelings. I'm manipulating your feelings right now. Every time someone speaks to you in a charismatic way, they're manipulating your feelings. That's why I don't like stuff like that. I said, I don't like used car salesmen because they're trying to put me on something. I was like, no, 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 no. I love the internet because I'm just, it's just words. It's a picture. I can click an X. If I don't want you to sell me anything, I can compare all the stuff that you're selling by the way with a thousand other stuff just like it, prices, reviews, all that kind of stuff, because people face to face can be manipulated. People pride on they they, they they prey on that, don't they? We can be, our feelings can be manipulated. The sun, the storm comes, or the weather changes. Uh, someone says something to us. Our feelings just sway back and forth. It's like the tide. It's like the waves washing back and forth. If you run your life based on feelings, that's what you look like. Your life is just here. It's over there. It's back over here. You're uncertain. It's unclear. Listen, we can't make our decisions on feelings. We have to make our decisions on faith. We have to. Faith is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a, it says this, therefore I'm going to do it no matter how I feel kind of attitude. Perfect. Recognize that faith is a choice, not a feeling. Number three, don't be afraid to borrow some faith. Here, back to the whole issue of community, I really am a strong believer this whole issues of doubt have a lot lesser effect when we're living in community together. Zacharias and Elizabeth, part of the reason I believe that his doubt is so deep, pain is so deep, is because he's got no one else to share it with. He's been judged by the community. You can't have a kid. Your wife can't have a kid. You're something less of what God wants you to be. And so they've walled him out. He's walled himself out. So when this comes to the surface, it's raw, it's nasty, it's deep seated. When, 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 when we doubt, we definitely need to borrow faith from someone else. Call someone who's, who you know is walking with the Lord right now. Call them and say, listen, I'm having troubles. Speak to them. Care for them. If they really are walking with the Lord, they'll talk to you. They'll love you. They'll help you. Borrow from each other. We borrow other things. Why not faith? You say, well, I don't see where faith is being borrowed in the Scriptures. I do. Mark 2, 5. Here's a guy who's been sick all his life. You know, you know he has I believe not the ability to come before Jesus. I don't think he's got the heart to come before Jesus I don't know when the last time you were sick. I mean, anybody here been really sick lately I, Every time I get sick. I can tell you this for sure. It's not my best spiritual day I'm running fever My wife can't do anything, right? Sorry, honey men are terrible I feel bad. It's just not the best time I can have with God. All right because my body is attached to my soul, which is attached to my spirit, and I cannot separate those things. And so when my body isn't doing good, or any one of those, they affect all the other ones. When my body isn't doing good. It's hard for me to be spiritually the kind of person that I think I ought to be or want to be. And so, so when I'm sick, and this guy's been sick all of his life, he's, he's, he's a child of God, but man, he's low. And so he has enough sense, though, to gather around him those from whom he can borrow a little faith, right? So notice, they bring him to Jesus. This guy's been on a pallet all of his life. And when Jesus saw whose faith? Not his. He didn't really have any to bring. He was sick. It's okay. He said to the paralytic, so because of their faith, he says to this guy, your son, your sins are forgiven you. Borrowed a little faith. Nothing wrong with that. That's why we're in community together. That's why we've got to support each other. That's why we got to know what's going on in each other's lives. That's why we've got to be honest with each other. Not just confessing to God, but confessing our sins to one another as the Scripture teaches us. A fourth thing. Act on your faith, not your doubts. The same thing. Act on your feelings. Don't act on those feelings. So here's my doubts, and here's my faith, and I've got to decide which I'm going to go with. I have these doubts, and they're hard for me to deal with, but here's what my faith says. Go with that. Don't do what these things say. Act the faith. It's not the feeling. It's the trust in God and what he says. Act on your faith, not on your doubts. Number five, understand that there are some things that you will never figure out. It's so important that as we are progressing in our faith, we're walking with God, that we ask honest questions, that we seek answers. God, why is this happening? Why is this true? Why is this going on? What's happening in my world? What does the scripture say about such and such? Search those things. Look for those things. Walk in a dynamic relationship with him, but also know when to stop asking. It's important to know when to stop. There are just some things he's not going to tell you and some things that you can't figure out, and that needs to be okay. Don't wait until it all makes sense to move out in faith. Don't wait. Henry Newman wrote wrote this, and I want to read it to you. Because, boy, does it really explain how the Christian is to move forward even while doubting. Hear what he says. He says, I'm praying while not knowing how to pray. Ever been there? All the time for me. I'm resting while still feeling restless. I'm at peace while still being tempted. I'm safe even though I'm still anxious. I'm walking in the light, but still in the dark in so many ways. Ever been there? See, it's a common experience. You don't wait till it all gets bright. You don't wait till all the troubles go. You don't wait until you're completely rested. You don't wait until there's no temptation. You don't wait till there's no anxiousness. You, you press on, you see. You keep moving. You keep doing what you need, what you're supposed to do, stepping out in faith, knowing that God's going to come through when God comes through. Again, to understand it all, before you do anything, you're going to be waiting a long time. And number six, finally, keep back, keep going back to what you know is true. There's got to be anchor points. Times when you know God was speaking to you, when you know God was moving. I'm not sure what's going on in my life right now, but I know back then God was really speaking to me about such and such. I have anchor points in my life. Anchor point, for instance, when I trusted Christ as personal Savior as an eight-year-old. When I was called to ministry as a, as a 17-year-old. When when God brought my wife into my life, huge huge thing for me. Uh, God called me to my former church. God called me to this church. People say, "Why have you been here 19 years?" Because that's what God told me to do. I'm still doing that. It's an anchor point for me. I don't fall from that. We we were just and we just came back from Las Vegas and and had a great time over there. We got to do several little trips outside of Vegas. Vegas has got a lot of stuff around it that you can get to. We went to Zion National Park. Zion National Park is just this beautiful canyon. And both sides are sheer these sheer cliff walls, and it's a, a favored place of cliff and rock climbers, and we were riding on this little tour bus and this lady was speaking to a microphone going around a corner. we hike got to hike this valley. My wife and I had a great time, and she was commenting about this one tall sheer rock cliff up there, and there was somebody on a string hanging up there, you know, climbing the thing, commenting how seven different people had died climbing this thing. I thinking I got a simple solution for that. Stop climbing that. <laughs> I'm going to climb this. I may die. Well, don't climb it then. Wow. You know, how much intelligence you got I know some people they are just motivated that way. But, but you know, the, typically the way you climb, and for me it would have to be this way, every time you reach a solid spot, you put in an anchor. You put it in an anchor. So I climb to this spot. I, I drill in, however they do it hammer it in, an anchor point right here. The rope goes through that anchor point. And then I climb up to the next spot. While I'm searching for the next solid spot, I may fall. Guess what, though? I only fall so far. Can't fall past the anchor point. So, but if I climb to here, but thinking, I can make the next one, so I don't put an anchor point here. And then I climb to here, and I'm thinking, I can make it to the next one. I don't need an anchor point. And I climb to here, and I slip. Guess what? Get to go to heaven, hopefully. Right? You've got to have anchor points, don't you? There's got to be points in your life where God worked and God moved and you know God was speaking to you. God brought people into your life. There's all kinds of things that God was doing. Maybe it was something simple. Maybe it was something great. Anchor those places. Write them down. As someone said, and you've heard this before, don't doubt in the dark what God spoke to you in the light. Make it light for you. Make it clear. Write it out. Rehearse it. Rehearse it. So, so that, yeah, any given day my feelings can shift just like the ocean. Any given day my circumstances can boil up within me, some hurt and some pain. But I'm going to fall only so far. And then I'm going to get back to that point And I'm going to keep going because of God's grace in my life. And because the shepherd is watching out over me. Doubt doesn't mean you're disqualified. How do we know that? Because it didn't disqualify Zacharias. I would have disqualified him, wouldn't you? I pulled out all the stops for you, Zacharias. I got an angel in front of you, dude, and yet you're still not believing it. Yeah, he gets to be deaf or mute for a while. It's only nine months. Tears wife a lot. It's only nine months, but it doesn't stop the process. It doesn't. He's not disqualified. That's a huge encouragement for us Doubters, isn't it? Doubters doubt, doubt is and faith are like two different boats I don't know how many people are boat people here Let me just say this to you When you step off of a dock onto a boat Make sure both your feet are in that one boat Don't ever do And I don't know if anybody's ever done this and I, You'll find out real quick why you shouldn't You'll only do it once Step into two boats You won't like that Unless you like the splits Because that's what you're going to get to do Step into two boats. Faith and doubt are two boats going the opposite directions. You can't have your feet in both boats. You've got to pull your foot out of one and put it in the other, or out of one and put it in the other. Faith in Christ is very simply like that. Jesus is the boat, only boat that's headed somewhere. You've got to have both feet in. How do I trust Christ? What does it mean to trust Christ? I know that Jesus is the Savior. I know that he died for my sins, but how do I trust Christ? It's just like stepping off a dock onto a boat. You've got to go with both feet. Got to go with both of them. I'm trusting my complete destination, my all hope on him. Have you done that? You really need to. I'm going to ask you, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray about what God has said to us this morning. God is kind to us. He's gentle with us, and we're to be kind and gentle to each other because he knows that we doubt, and somehow we don't know that we do. We think others don't. It just simply isn't true. We need to rely upon each other. We need to borrow faith sometimes from each other. We need to be careful, careful with feelings because they can make us do some really weird things. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Zacharias wasn't disqualified even though under such a severe doubting situation. He wasn't disqualified. thank you, God, for the great grace that you had for him, the grace that you have for us, Doubters, God, help us to stop looking around. Help us to look to the Shepherd. Help us to stop looking at the reasons why we can't walk on the water, and start looking at the One who enables us to walk on the water. God, we put fixed our eyes on you. Thank you for speaking to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.